Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today's episode is an interview with the illustrious Jonathan Fields, host of one of the top-ranked podcasts in the world, Good Life Project, and author of the new book, Sparked, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. In this interview, we talk all about his research and practice dedicated to helping individuals, teams, and organizations reinfuse life and joy into the daily grind. His wisdom is pretty priceless, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So Jonathan Fields, author of Sparked and host of the Good Life Project podcast, one of my personal favorites. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Modern Mentor podcast today. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. I sometimes like to play this little game with myself. I call it human pinata. And I ask myself, if somebody were a human pinata and we were to lovingly bash them open, what would spill out? And for me, you would sort of let spill unicorns and rainbows and teddy bears. Um, I just love the way that you sort of marry research and intellect and thought with a level of humanity that we don't always see coming through. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you. And um, it probably makes sense to add in there like neuroses and like all the other <laughs> all the other stuff that makes me human, like just like everybody else. You know, we're here today to talk about your new book, Sparked, which well, I'm gonna let you tell us a little bit about it. How do you describe the book and sort of what it is, what it does, where it comes from? Yeah. So I mean, the book is a culmination of two decades of work that I've been doing, um, really exploring how we step into our work lives in a way that gives us this feeling of being sparked or what I often call coming alive. And for me, that's the confluence of five different states, meaningfulness. So a sense of, you know, like what you're doing actually matters, access to flow. Like you can lose yourself in that blissed out state where the world kind of vanishes away. You lose a sense of time and, and even the sense of being distinct from the thing that you're doing. The third one is, uh, what a lot of in the corporate world would be termed engagement. I like sort of like more human language, which is excitement and energy. Are you excited to wake up in the morning and do it, even if it's really hard work and does it energize you? And the last two are express potential or performance. Like there's nothing being held back. You feel like you're, you're tapping into everything that you have. And then a sense of purpose is the last one. I've been really fascinated by how we show up 
and how we invest effort to get that feeling, you know, and if we can get that feeling in the context of our job and also have that be the thing that sustains us financially, that's awesome. So that's been a part of a sort of an informal quest for me for two decades that was actually set in motion in 9-11 through experiences that I had in New York around that and really came to a head about five years ago and became a central focus. And I started wondering whether there were a set of identifiable impulses that we all have for work that gives us that feeling of coming alive. Because if there were, and I could identify them, map them out, and then build tools and processes that might help people figure that out in themselves, I thought, you know, like that would be a worthy pursuit. Um, So I've been, I kind of went deep into the cave and through these last five years, developing the impulses and then identifying fuller archetypes that I call sparkotypes that exist around them, and then building an assessment. And now as we have this conversation, having about 600,000 people complete the assessment, generating over 30 million data points, I was sitting on a sort of like a mountain of intel about these um, these imprints. And the book is really just, it, it was my way of distilling everything that we had learned up until that point about the entire ecosystem of the sparkotypes, about how we show up at work, um, what fills us up, what empties us out, how we can identify that thing within ourselves and then align our work with it. And then distilling it into one piece of work. Um, I'm a maker, um, which is one of the sparkotypes and make ideas manifest. And I like to create things that go into the world and do a lot of the, the lifting for me. So for me, a book is one of those things. Um, I love the process of creation wrapped around it. So, so the book is really, you know, it is the ultimate creative expression based on work that I've been doing informally and informally for about two decades now. That's incredible. And, you know, as somebody who works in the sort of leadership and organization development space, and, you know, I run a business in that realm, I've seen a lot of personality types and, you know, different kind of tests and assessments that are out there. And and I find that there's there's something useful to be found in all of them, right? There's always some kind of insight we can extract. And I think categories really help us kind of make sense of things. And I did take the Sparkotype assessment and we'll, we'll post a link to that. I came out as an advisor and I'd love to talk about that a little bit. I felt like reading this particular description of me felt, um, it almost felt more whole. There was like a totality to the way that you mm. described me that felt bigger than just work, bigger than just how my mind works. It really felt like you were getting at what drives me, what motivates me. And I I am fascinated by this idea, you know, especially right now, as we are still in some phase of pandemic life and a lot of people are still working remotely and, and work and life and everything is sort of bled together. But I'm curious, you know, how did you come to this, this sense that, you know, the need to have this self-awareness and know where your personal fulfillment comes in and, and how that sort of feeds your professional success? Where does that that insight come from you? And how do you feel like those pieces all fit together? Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting question. And definitely the big existential questions have been brought to the surface at a scale that we haven't seen in generations. I think what's kind of fascinating about this moment is that the the process of exploring the way that you bring yourself to work, whether it's your job or whether it's just your, your central role or devotion, and really asking is it giving me what I want, what I need to feel like I'm flourishing as a human being? That's been normalized on a level that we haven't seen in a really long time. But the deeper issues, 
have been exacerbated over the last two years, but it's not like they're new. You know, the experience of anxiety, the experience of burnout, the experience of disengagement, the experience of just complete misalignment with the work that we show up and do, which results in motivation, low performance, like all sorts of issues that we like to measure in the business world and use those as like the ultimate performance indicators, which I sometimes question too. But these these have, have been problems that have been going on for a long, 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 long time. You know, if you look at the survey data around engagement, it's been horrible for years. You know, in the five years before the pandemic, like I think a lot of organizational culture start to point to an uptick in the numbers, but it's sort of like, you know, an uptick in, in like one or 2% of a dismal baseline number. So there's something about the way that we choose to work and the way that we show up and work and the way that uh, I think very often organizations are formed to support that effort. That is on the one hand, really cool. And on the one hand, we're still missing the mark. There's so many people who are not getting what they need from the way that they show up and work. You know, so for for me, this moment is really interesting because the society-wide normalization of questioning the way that we're spending 50% of our waking hours for our entire adult lives is allowing people to have conversations that are public that they normally would never have publicly, or they would have in a very private way, or they may have with you and your team in sort of like a client-based way where it's safe and protected. Um but now it's become a part of the public discourse and a real, you know, like there's this existential questioning, which people are saying, is this all there is? Is the bargain that I made for the last 10, 15, 20 years of my life, is that the bargain that I want to keep making for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of my working life? And many people are coming up and saying, no, it's actually not the bargain. I don't see culture or organizations or corps or anyone as the enemy. I think they're amazing allies and partners. And we're all in this um, moment where we have an opportunity to reimagine how we play together. And it starts with the individual and really understanding what is that deeper impulse within me. And then it sort of like ripples out into the entire ecosystem that might allow us to bring that forward, express it and contribute in a meaningful way. Yeah. And, and, you know, the research shows that especially the younger generations are, they're not willing to compromise on that, right? I don't think it has to be a trade-off. And I think that's a lot of what I take away from your book. I think it's it's incredibly well-timed because a lot of the conversations I'm having with leaders right now are stemming from this issue we're having with burnout, right? And what I think so many leaders are getting wrong and where I think your book becomes such a valuable part of the conversation is that burnout is not really a quantity problem. We don't solve burnout by cutting back hours or infusing mental health days into chaos, right? We I think we solve burnout by infusing good stuff into the DNA of how we're working. And, f- and a lot of the research is pointing to the criticality of purpose and authenticity. And I think that that's a lot of what comes through your book. So I, I mentioned I came through as an advisor and I was laughing because on just the first page where you're describing that in your book. Do you use the word mentoring? And that obviously shows up in the name of my podcast. And then a little bit further down the page, you talk about the interactive experience of walking people through a process of problem solving. And if you were to look at my website, which is lead above noise, it literally, the the tagline is we design interactive experiences that help teams rev up performance. And so I 
I really felt incredibly seen, but I also felt like it was a bit of a validation of the professional choices that I've made. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about how people can start to use this book in a way where it's not about, you know, you have to quit your job and go, you know, join an NGO or a nonprofit, but I I think it's about getting a better understanding of who you are and finding ways to infuse that into the work that you're doing. But I would love it if you would talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, it'd be my pleasure. And um, and I love that sort of like your chapter resonated so so closely. Um, <laughs> even with like, you know, like not just your essence, but even the language that you wrap around what you do. I think that's awesome. And I completely agree with you about burnout, by the way. I think a lot of people are are pointing to the lack of boundaries between sort of like you know, like work and life as the the central problem now. And I and I think that's it's this superficial overlay, um, but the much deeper issue has to do with alignment and, and profound misalignment with the essential nature of what people are doing. That has similar to what we've been talking about. It's been there for, for a long time. This is just, you know, like we're tearing the bandaid off and now the wound is sort of like on the surface. So there's, when I think about the, the sparkotypes, I think there's a bit of a process that makes sense for folks to take. One is first just, you know, like take the assessment. It's freely available for anyone online. Um, accessibility around the assessment was important for us. So, and, and you'll get some really interesting insights just about who you are. You'll learn about your strongest impulse. You'll learn about your next strongest impulse for work that makes you come alive. And also this thing we call your anti-sparkotype, which is the work that most readily empties you and requires a greatest recovery. And then look at the work that you're doing, you know, um, use that as a bit of a diagnostic. And for some people that look at what they're doing and like you just described, you may have a really strong sense of validation, like, oh, actually, you know, like I, what I'm doing really aligns well with this. It allows these impulses to come out in a powerful way. And it may be like you're, you've, you've carved away so that you actually don't have to do a lot of the work of your anti-spark type, which is amazing. What most people find is that they're somewhere in the middle. Like there, there are places where these impulses can find a way out and where they may be a part of their job description and what they do every day. But very often they'll feel like not enough. You know, and then the question becomes, well, what do you do with that information? And there is this impulse that people will sometimes have to just take what I call the nuclear career option, <laughs> blow it up, start over, new company, new organization, new industry, new title, new team, which I think, you know, for a certain person at a certain moment in time can make sense. But to me, that's always the resort of last option, not first. Because that level of disruption is going to bring a lot of unease, uncertainty, and a certain amount of suffering along with it as you move through the transition. And we tend to be delusional about how happy we'll be and how quickly that next act will arrive. And also uh, delusional in the opposite direction about how dis- truly disruptive to our lives that process will be. So my sense is a much better approach is you first understand what it, what are your impulses? Do the diagnostic. If you're not thrilled with the opportunities that your current work has to express these impulses inside of you, then you start to ask you know, the question, well, are there things that I could do? Are there tasks or processes or projects or teams or endeavors that need this impulse that I have. And that might be available to me either within my job description, but I just haven't been doing them or might just be available to me within my organization, even though they might not fall squarely within my job description, but there's an opportunity for me to literally just show up and say, Hey, can I contribute and start to do that work for no other reason 
than the feeling it gives you because it will make you so much more nourished and fully alive in the work that you're doing. When you go through that, you can take something that felt initially as if it was just not enough to give you a feeling of meaning and purpose and access to flow and all these things that we care about. And you can reimagine it so that it gets you so much closer to that. For many people, it'll actually get you pretty much what you want. And you don't have to go through the disruption of making a really big change. For some folks, it'll get you a lot closer. It'll sort of like optimize, but um, you're still not quite there. And even then, I feel like the next logical option is not to blow things up and figure out. Then you start to look at your broader life. You know, I talk about work as in a more general way. I talk about it as basically anything that requires us to exert effort in a sustained way. So that could be our job. It could also be an activity, an endeavor, a hobby, a role, a devotion. And those all fold in to give us the, the opportunity to, to feel those things we want to feel, to come alive. So then start looking outside of the boundaries of the thing that you get paid to do and see what else can I do? What else can I say yes to? What else can I create that would give me this feeling? And very often the blend of an optimized main job and a complement of things that you wrap around it they get you there. Like they literally give you everything that you want. And the beautiful thing about that is it also will allow you to honor what for many adults is a sacred value, which is financial integrity. A lot of people feel like, you know, like being sustainable, uh, building a security around financial um, integrity is important to them. It's a really important value. If you have a family or if you have people relying on you to help support them, so it lets you reimagine the way that you're doing what you're doing, potentially build more sparked activities around it and simultaneously honor this value. And for most people, it's the, the blend of that, including honoring values that are sacredly held by you is also an alternate source of meaning and purpose, by the way. So they all compound to give you this feeling that you want. If you do all of that work and still you're just not quite getting what you want. Well, then at that point, we start to look at the, like the bigger options. Then at that point, does it make sense for you to actually to leave, to move into something else? And the cool thing about that is that if you decide to, to step into that exploration at that point, you step into it in a very different state than you would have had you done it as the first thing. Because when you do it you know, as sort of like the first option, very often you do it from a place of a lack of understanding, a lack of self-awareness, a lack of confidence, and also some level of victimhood. Mm -hmm. And that presents, I mean, people will read that. Whereas if you go through this process and then you're like, you know what, I've actually really optimized a lot of stuff. I feel pretty good, but I still feel like there's more that I can do. Then you step into the bigger pursuit for something new and different from a place of agency and confidence and possibility. And that will radiate, that people will read that in you too. And the world tends to respond to you in a very different way. So that's sort of the way I look at, at the, the bigger process of both, you know, starting with the moment of self-discovery and self-awareness. And then what do I do with this information once I have it? It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. 
Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You said a lot of incredible things in there. I, I almost don't know where I want to start. But before I started my business, I worked in HR full-time in a financial services company. And I I didn't love my job at all. I felt like a cog in a wheel. I felt like my job was to sort of execute you know, processes that aligned to a company's mission and vision. And I, I felt like I wanted to be having more meaningful conversations and facilitating those meaningful conversations to help bring insight to others. And so I started to do little bits of that within the context of my job to, to play with it, to experiment with it, to validate whether that was going to be as meaningful as I thought it was going to be. And, and frankly, to start to hone my craft a little bit. And so I would say in my last year in that job, I started finding opportunities to bring groups of, of leaders or employees together and just have a conversation and see how that felt. And it felt great. And it might not have, it might not have felt great. And you could argue that I ultimately made the choice to blow it up and step out on my own, but I did it from a place of being informed and practiced and excited to run towards something versus just running away from something painful, which is what I think people are often doing when they're blowing things up. It would have been great if I had had your book at that time, but I think I did somehow manage to figure myself out. And again, this this for me was more validation than anything else. It does sound like you know, like you did a whole bunch of work like before you made that bigger decision to, you know, like make a bigger change. Like you're trying all sorts of different things. You're like, well, what if I do this? And what if I do this? And what if I do this? Oh, how's that making me feel? So it's like, you're building this reservoir of experiments and then being aware and sort of like note-taking so that when you finally do make that bigger decision, you're making it based on a different set of insights and information and a different state, you know, so that you can kind of like you know why you're doing it and you know like what you're looking to to create and you may not have all the answers but you leave differently than had you just decided like you know oh i'm just going to i'm going to step away and then figure it out after this um which by the way is what a lot of people are doing i mean this phenomenon that is becoming called the you know the great resignation is a lot of people i know many people you know from um literally at every level of mm-hmm. the workforce including people who are executive suite. I know a number of people who have resigned their jobs um, without anything lined up um, and know, and, and they're just kind of like, I'll figure it out um, because of the level of unhappiness that's going on. But again, I don't think to me, I'm always a fan of taking a more progressive approach. And, and oftentimes you really don't have to do that once you understand what to make decisions based on. 
So for those who don't have the luxury or the confidence or call it whatever you want to step out. So for those who are doing that reflection and recognizing I'm not happy, I don't feel connected, I don't feel on purpose, but I've got to stick this out for a while. I'm curious, how are you seeing or suggesting or hoping that leaders and their teams kind of use this assessment to to facilitate a dialogue between them or to think about the nature of tasks and jobs? Yeah, I love this question. And I've been deep into it. You know, I've been working with leaders with uh, these ideas and these tools for a number of years now. And um, everyone from, you know, the the executive leadership team at a you know global industry with hundreds of thousands of employees to startup founders. And there tend to be three different ways to step into the work. Um, one is as a leader, first, just understanding like, what is my personal spark type? What are the things that fill me up and empty me out? And where am I, you know, most lit up, most authentic when I step into my role as a leader, understanding that and then adapting the way that you lead or informing the way that you lead by allowing yourself to express as fully as possible um, your sparkotype in that context. You not only are you more nourished by the work that you do, but again, like people read that in you. I'm sure you see this in your work with leaders so often. There's this psychological phenomenon that's been researched called emotional contagion. Where somebody who's a leader, you know, like, is shown two different prompts. One is a prompt which is very often it's a set of images which are are really upsetting that put them in a very negative emotional state, and then they return to their team and will literally infect that emotional state into their team in a matter of minutes. And then the others, they'll be showing you know, like images or videos of puppies and candy and like the most lovely things that <laughs> kind of puts them in like a happy state, and then they return to the team and. And the emotional state literally infects the team in the blink of an eye. And I think most leaders don't realize that it's not just their skill or like the, you know, the, the way that they craft the way that they interact with their teams and the people they lead. It's literally their, their state, their, their physiological state and their emotional state is palpable by those around them. So when you step into the role as a leader, fully expressed, like allowing your spark tech to show up and feel like as alive as you can be. People read that in you. Um, and you also feel a lot. I mean, you come alive as a leader. You become more nourished in that role. So that's one way. The second level is to um, have those that you lead actually discover what this impulse is in them, like look at their profile. And then they become much informed to understand on a whole different level what to say yes or no to in the context of projects, processes, tasks, you know, like teams. So that we start to have people choosing where they want to invest their effort, choosing, you know, like the types of things that they say yes to in a way where it's much better aligned with that intrinsic impulse for work that makes them come alive. And they end up being able to do work at a much higher level. So we have some interesting preliminary data that shows that people tell us the more they do the work of their sparkotype, the more likely they are to say, like, my work is meaningful. I access flow states more easily. I feel like it's I'm energized and excited by my work. I feel like I'm performing at my personal potential, like I'm performing at my highest level. And what I do matters. There's a strong sense of purpose, not just in the work, but more broadly, I feel a sense of purpose in life, which translates to, I feel like I'm doing the thing I'm here to do. The corollary is also true. That same data shows that the less likely or, or the less they say they're able to do their, the work of their sparkotype, the less they report all five of those states. So if you're a leader and you have the opportunity to have somebody discover what that, that impulse is in, in them and then align what they do with that impulse, what choice are you going to make there? Mm-hmm. You know, 
it's kind of, you know, it, it's pretty obvious. And then the third layer, uh, and this has been really fun to see. It's been more recent reflection that's coming back to us from people now that the work is really so out in the field is the quality of conversations based on sharing sparkotypes is kind of stunning because if you sit down with somebody and you say, hey, listen, this is me. The same way that you shared earlier in a conversation, there's a, a feeling of validation and being seen. There's language wrapped around this. If you literally sit down with somebody else and say like, here's my profile and here's my profile. And, yet, and then you, you walk through a series of problems. Well, that's really cool. Like, how have you felt that? How has that showed up in your life, in your work life? How has it not showed up? And how has your anti-sparkotype showed up? And, and how does that affect you and the work that you do and the choices that you make? It's leading to conversations that are so much more open um, and so much more authentic. And so that leads to, you know, we talk a lot about psychological safety in the workplace these days and how critical that is in a leadership context and also how often it's not part of the equation. And part of that is actually like we want to create the safe container and then we want to have the conversations that truly allow people to feel seen. And this is a tool or a set of tools that helps with that process. And, and, you know, like I said, this is a reflection that's been coming back to us from people who are using these ideas in the field and they're sharing how valuable it is. And, and that also extends beyond the world of business, you know, like similar, we're hearing from intimate partners who like one person takes the assessment and feels like something powerful about it. And then they have their partner take it. And after being together for, you know, like two decades, they sit down and have a conversation they have not had. And they learn things about themselves and it's revealing because like you said earlier in our conversation, yes, this definitely applies in the context of like our professional, you know, our profession, our work, but in the broader context of just like, what are the ways that we exert effort and energy in our lives? And what are the feelings that it gives us? That could be taking care of a kid, or it could be like being good to another person. It could be creating something just because it's a hobby of ours. So it gives language to personal conversations that allow people to see each other on a whole different level. Yeah. There's something really kind of profound about that, that third layer, which was the, the quality conversations. You know, one of the things I feel like I'm hearing people say is some version of, you know, we're working remotely and we're trying to stay connected, but I, but I don't want to, I don't want to ask personal questions. I don't want to feel like I'm kind of stepping into someone's family or into their home. And so for me, this feels like such a beautiful balance where it is a conversation that gets into the personal in the sense that it's tapping into your humanity and your authenticity, but it's not infringing on anything that's private. It's not talking about your family, your kids. Um, and so it's a, it's a really lovely way to create connection throughout a team that, that really straddles that personal and professional. And the other thing I want to say, I want to go back to your second layer where you were talking about when, when members of a team all take the assessment and it helps them inform what they say yes to, what they say no to. A lot of times I hear people say, yeah, but I don't have any control over that, right? I, well, I'm told what to do and I'm handed tasks and, and I'm handed projects. And I'm just going to imagine somebody giving me that resistance. And I, and I want to counter that by saying, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying is it's not about saying yes or no to the project, but maybe it's about how you get there, right? What path you take, what avenue you explore. So there may be an outcome that you are accountable to delivering, but depending on your sparkotype, you might choose to go down a path where you dive deep into research and you produce something really meaningful 
because that's what works for you. Um, I might choose to go down that path by interviewing other people or, you know, kind of empowering other people to go out and do the research. And then I'm going to facilitate a conversation. So even if you feel like you don't have the agency to determine what you do, I think being mindful of, of how you achieve it and, and how you do or don't tap into people or projects or research, I think there's a tremendous amount of choice in there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think, you know, what it, it informs the mode and the mechanism. Mm-hmm. So you may not have complete agency when it comes to the topic or, you know, like the stated outcome for the, the whole team, but it definitely informs how you might step into that. It definitely informs the pieces of it that you would say yes to, um, the pieces that we go deeper into. And the truth is when you align that, you're going to perform at such a higher level, very likely that, the, you know, like whoever you're, you're reporting to is, is going to be happy with your work product. Yeah. Um, and in fact, if they then do the work of their own Sparkotype and they understand that when the people that they're leading actually do this same work and align what they do with this deeper impulse, they're going to perform at an entirely different level. The job of a leader becomes much easier. Like the friction um, and motivation become less of an issue when you know that the people on your team are actually doing the thing they're here to do, you know, so it's in the self-interest of a leader to actually have this work be a part of the conversation and to allow people to actually be more intentional about the choices that they make and, and, and also have conversations with people and say like, we're basically like turn this into a conversation, not just among team lead, team members, but also you know, like leaders and managers and, and the folks on their teams um, about like, let's talk about like, what's the, what feels like the most aligned way for you to contribute to this project. That is going to be a powerful conversation. And if you want to talk about ways to ease burnout, ways to ease friction, ways to not have to try and figure out, you know, like the artificial carrot and stick motivation, which we all know now and research shows doesn't work after the first hot minute. Um, Mm -hmm. Like these are tools that make everybody's job easier and make the experience of work better. Absolutely. And I'm, personally really excited to start thinking about how to incorporate these into programs that I'm running with teams. And, you know, as we're recording this right now, we are in the fourth quarter of 2021. And I know that that the calendar may be a little bit arbitrary, but I do think that as we get towards the end of a year, it it is a really common time for people to start to reflect, right? On how's the year been and what do I want to infuse that feels new and fresh and different into next year. And so I hope I hope people will focus on sparkotypes and thinking about how to bring that to life within their organizations. I love that. I know I will be. I mean, I do this work myself. You know, I I, I do a bit of a year-end reflection, year-end mm-hmm. review. I know myself pretty well at this point, and I know my impulses. You know, like how how good a job have I been doing at aligning the things I say yes to and no to with what I know makes me come alive, and also with what empties me out. Um, because even though like I run my own business, this is you know, like a body of work that has emerged from, from us and our team and we live by at the same time, I'm human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Life happens, you know, and I don't always honor the things that I know to be true about myself. So I, I agree. I think, I think Q4 is very often, it's a nice time, you know, companies tend to do this reflection. I think it's also really, it's, it's, a, it's a good window for us to do it personally as well. So Jonathan, I know we're coming up towards the end of our time. I'm curious, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wish that I had, or is there anything, any final thoughts or wisdom you want to share with my audience today? 
Yeah, thank you for uh, for that question, for this conversation. Final thought, I believe we're in a window right now where there is a normalization of deep self-inquiry and also the potential to take action and make changes and make bold decisions based on what we see and discover because of the circumstance of the world right now. You know, when there is universal groundlessness and everyone's in the question together, there's a certain embrace of asking these big questions and making uh, bold decisions. I also believe that window is going to close. Um, not that you can't always do it down the road at some point, but I feel like it is not going to be as easy. I don't know when that window is going to close, but I feel like we're in the middle of it right now. And to the extent that we can leverage this window to really do the work, to set ourselves up for the next season of work and life in a way that we are more, more alive, um, I would invite everyone to sort of to do the work now, because I don't know how much longer the level of openness to this kind of exploration is going to be sort of like socially championed. Jonathan, this has absolutely been an honor and a pleasure. It has been so wonderful talking to you. I hope everybody goes out and picks up a copy of Sparked, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. It has been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jonathan Fields. Did you take something meaningful away from it? Did it leave you with a question? Shoot me a note at modernmentor at quickanddirtytips.com and let me know. In the meantime, you can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Join me back here next week for another great episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.